as a result, I'm now sitting in a uh, boiling hot room with my trusty fan off to make this recording, and I'm more or less naked and absolutely drenched in sweat. Delightful image. We went to purchase some fans, some electric fans. Mm -hmm. We bought two at a local sort of uh, everything shop. Yeah. And uh, we thought, yeah, we'll just get two for the moment. And if we need more, we'll go. We'll come back tomorrow and, and get more. And sure enough, you know, we went back the next day to buy another one. There was none, like completely sold out. <laughs> All gone. Completely gone. And I asked the, the guy in the shop and he said, yeah, no, nah, you, you won't find an electric fan anywhere in Stockholm for sale right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a citywide... It's a shortage of electric fans. Have you not got any hand, like, manual fans from Japan? I don't. I used to swear by them. Like, I used to I used to love them. And I, they used to be my sort of all-purpose work accessory. Mm. And I was never, never seen without my trusty um, folding fan. Mm. But they all, you know, they, they tend to break, obviously. I mean, they don't last for, mm -hmm. for very long if you use them very frequently. And uh, so, yeah, I, I actually don't have one on me at the moment. Oh, wow. I brought over like four with me when, when we moved here. Mm. Uh, one of which was a, a souvenir from the Gion Matsuri because in the last year that I was in Japan at Gion Matsuri, as you know, but perhaps not everyone listening does, they have these large floats which get dragged around the city and in front of them are all the people dragging them. Mm. Or in some cases, they're holding them on their shoulders. And then in front of that, you'll have a couple of people holding these like metal rods, which they drag along the ground, mm. which makes a kind of scrapey sound. Right. And then they hit it twice on the ground and then they start dragging it again. And that's the way that they, they traverse the city. Seems sort of like some kind of uh, gangland tactic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It's not not the image I had. <laughs> have you seen the movie The Warriors? No, you no, haven't. I haven't. You haven't seen The Warriors? Never even heard of it. Oh, Danny. Okay, that's the topic that we're going to be talking about after this. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, just before I left Japan, a couple of months before I left Japan, I actually participated in the Gyomatsuri. I was one of those people standing at the front, dragging the metal rod along the ground and then hitting it on the floor. Right. And as a sort of souvenir of that day, uh, I was given a fan with the the markings for the particular yama it was. They've got yamas and hokos, but the float that I was carrying, I was one of the carriers of. So I have that fan uh, and a couple more, and I use them every episode. The only reason you can't hear them is because I edit all the I, I fan myself while you're talking, and then I edit all, all the <laughs> noises you get in the microphone out later. <laughs> the, the secret is out. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit behind the curtain for you. <laughs> that's, uh, so that's how you do it. Okay. Uh, that's interesting because I never hear it when we record, but you know that's, that's just testimony to your uh, covert fanning skills. I am, I am known for my... Uh, Elite covert fanning skills. So this movie, The Warriors, you must see it, Danny. It's um, it's a 1979 action movie. I had a feeling it might be. It's achieved somewhat of a sort of cult status. I'm actually surprised that you don't know of it. Mm. Uh, basically, it's a movie about uh, the late 70s gangland uh, gangs in New York City. And um, it's uh, it goes along the storyline of a of a novel by the same name mm. called The Warriors, mm -hmm. and it stars uh, probably the only connection between The Warriors and sort of mainstream blockbuster Hollywood is the uh, star of the film. The main protagonist is played by Michael Beck, who uh, is sort of the poster boy of the late seventies and eighties. You might remember a movie called Xanadu. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, so Michael Michael Beck was also in that, as well as a number of other sort of um, uh, teenage movies in the in the uh, late seventies and eighties. Anyway, it's a great movie. It's hard to describe what's good about it. It's it's a sort of a it has an art house feel to it, so it feels very low budget, mm. but it's very gritty. It's quite violent, uh, but it it really um, uh, I guess and the storyline is really really simple. You know, it's hard to. Hard to really spoil it. Basically, um, uh, it's all about uh, a slightly exaggerated 
slightly fictionalized version of New York City and all the gangs around the city who have the different territories and there's you know gang warfare and all of that and um uh basically a uh, one of the leaders of one of the gangs called uh, Cyrus decides to get all the gangs together call a truce and unite all of the gangs to create this sort of uh, big massive um you know guerrilla uber gang uber gang force that yeah. that could overrun the city basically and yeah. as a a prank one of the um leaders of one of the gangs uh kills Cyrus during this meeting and then frames classic classic prank that's right <laughs> bit, of, bit of murder that's right everybody always gets some everybody was chuckling um yeah and basically frames the killing on another gang called the warriors mm. uh and the whole movie is basically about the warriors getting back to their home turf mm. and that's it oh interesting so i see on uh, wikipedia that the novel of the same name the warriors is actually based on xenophon's anabasis so it does it appeals to my my classical interests as well. There you go. There you go. There you go. Wow. It's it. You should see it. It's um. It it is difficult to define what's sort of captivating about it. Mm. Like it's there's nothing really particularly special about it. To be honest, you know, it's it's a sort of a. I mean, it's a straight action movie mm. uh, from the late seventies, and so it sounds like that. Mm. Like the music is great, mm. uh, and it it looks like that. Um, the costume design again, also uh, much like the setting, is kind of like a slightly exaggerated version of again you know late 70s gangland in in mm. united states but th- for some reason this movie has has achieved this cult status and, and you know there are many sort of cultural references to many of the lines in the movie and um uh yeah there's just something about it that's kind of captivating somehow and uh all right yeah so be sure to watch it and let me know what you think Okay, yeah, I'll have to put that on my list. Um, so, a little bit of your excellent influence has rubbed off on me, and I've actually started uh, doing a Swedish course using an app. Oh, cool, interesting. Actually, I've been using a new app recently as well, so sounds sounds like the perfect time to talk about apps. That's right. So previously, we've talked about this, I think, two or three times before, but just to recap quickly, the ones that you have been using are uh, one is called Anka, is that right? Anki. Anki. It's, the, it's a Japanese word. It means memory. Okay. Sorry, Anka means duck in Swedish. I learned that the other day. Excellent. Oh, well, well <laughs> very, very impressive. So, I mean, you know, Japanese for memory, Swedish for duck. He could have gone with either of those names, really, for his <laughs> software to remember things. Right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so the, the other one that you were using was Memrise? Yeah, well, so that's the one I've started using recently. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think we've mentioned it on the show. We might have, but the other, one, the other main one I was using when we spoke before was Hello Talk, which that's is a right. bit of a different sort of category of apps. That's right, that's right. So I've been using two, and uh, I wanted to tell you about them and also recommend them because uh, they've been very good. Um, for you know, for what they intend, what they set out to do, they've been very good, which I'll, mm-hmm. I'll talk about in a bit. But the two that I've been using is actually made by the same company, and that's Duolingo. Mm-hmm. And the other, the Duolingo's sort of companion flashcard app uh, that goes along with it called Tiny Cards. Mm-hmm. So Duolingo is just the the web app, is it? It's the, it's the website and the, the in browser version, and Tiny Cards is the mobile app client to that is that right uh no they're both actually standalone mobile clients that also have a web interface oh oh interesting okay yeah so my my perception of them was a little different then so what's the difference Uh, so the the approach with duolingo is basically all about translation so it's centered around translation right uh, of phrases right and um i found it actually to be excellent um as a little bit of uh, context i was actually an english teacher for what seven years Mm mm-hmm eight years in Japan when I first got there. Mm. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm fairly critical of the way that, uh, you know, educational curriculums are put together. Sorry, curricula. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I was an English teacher. Clearly not anymore. <laughs> not a Latin teacher. So <laughs> No, that's right. So that's fine. I'm safe. <laughs> I'm good. Anyway, it's, it's created very, very uh, cleverly. Mm. It's very gradual. 
but the way that it teaches grammar is through translation into your native language. Right. So you are presented with, you know, a sentence in the language that you're learning, mm-hmm. in my case, Swedish. And, you know, each one of the words will be underlined and you press on the underlined word and it will say it. You get mm-hmm. a recording all of these words mm-hmm. and um, uh, give you a little sort of pop-up that shows you what it means. So when you first start using it, it doesn't give you any any foundation in the language's grammar beyond that. Just right, right. here is a simple sentence. Press the words to find out what they mean. Mm-hmm. So you sort of do that, and as as uh, that'll be the first sort of task to do in the lesson, mm. and then after that you're basically tested with very simple translation exercises. A lot of them are sort of fill in the blanks, so you have some options, and you just sort of press the word that you think is the right answer mm-hmm. to go in the right order to translate something. Right, and as you continue on, you get more challenging translation exercises. For example, where you actually have to write out the whole sentence yourself. Mm. Uh, as opposed to just sort of choosing the the words that slot into the right place. Mm. What is interesting about Duolingo is that it's formatted very much like a free-to-play mobile game. Right. So as you, it, it's free, and as you play it, you'll have ads that pop up, mm-hmm. and you have experience points that you gain for completing lessons. Mm-hmm. And you also have these gems that you get for getting answers correct and, and uh, you know, completing... Um, sections of the curriculum Mm. and the interesting thing is that when you make a mistake you have uh you have life which has like five bars in it Mm -hmm. and when you make a mistake you lose one of those bars now right every day the your life meter recharges itself Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're making lots of mistakes and you've lost all of your lives Mm. then you need to you go to a different section of the app to practice and you do like a set of questions and that will restore one bar of life. Hmm. So, yeah, it basically it's exactly like a free-to-play game. And, and you, the other thing, of course, you can do is, is purchase life using your gems. Hmm. And if you don't have enough gems from completing enough lessons, you, of course, can you know buy gems with in-app purchases. So it's exactly like a, a mobile game. Right. What I found has been really good, though, is that uh, that particular model for free to play mm-hmm. really works well <laughs> in this context. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, uh, unlike a game where you're just sort of doing it f- because it's enjoyable and because it's fun or you're just looking to kill time or mm-hmm. you like the game for some other reason, in this specific case, you know, the whole idea of grinding, mm. which for those who are unfamiliar with gaming vocabulary, the word grinding generally refers to somewhat mundane repetition of a certain action in a game to gain points or to gain credits or or some kind of advantage for yourself. You're just sort of doing the mm-hmm. same thing over and over and over again. Right, right. And eventually you get enough points and that allows you to advance in some way in the game or get some ability or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's called grinding. Mm-hmm. So in, in the context of a language learning app, mm-hmm. grinding is you know, very, very effective in helping you learn because you're just doing the same thing over and over and again, over again right. to remember something. Right. So there's never a point. And the, the other nice thing is, of course, when you see ads and you'll see like video ads and you'll see, you know, uh, static image ads for other apps or mm-hmm. other websites or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. In the case of Duolingo, it's timed really nicely so such that it, it feels like kind of a break <laughs> you know? right, right so right. yeah i might just watch yeah. this this uh video for you know this game and and just sort of have a little bit of a break here for a moment before i get mm. back into the mm. study so all of these things just make it really really uh f- sort of fun and low fi- friction to use on mm. an everyday basis mm. and naturally you get things like you know if you use it 10 days in a row you get a special achievement mm-hmm. and if you uh you know you can buy with your gems you can buy things like a uh, you can buy a day so that, for example, if you need to miss doing it for a day, mm-hmm. you could buy an extra day so that you can, you know, uh, c- keep your continuous streak. Mm. And it's full of like the, the usual sort of achievements. And uh, and the other good thing, there's two other good things to mention about it. You can connect with other people who are using the app mm-hmm. and kind of keep a leaderboard just between you and the other yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. And that's really great because I'm doing that with my wife. And so I can see, mm. you know, how far she's gotten through and what her points are compared to mine. Mm. And the final thing that's really good about it is it also has some of the social features similar to Hello Talk. Oh, really? It does. So 
what happens is um, uh, there's a section of the app where it says find me a club mm-hmm. and you click that and basically – or you, sorry, you press that and basically it will find you – it's kind of like a chat room. I'm not sure the total amount of users that are in each one. I think it's about 10 to 15 mm-hmm. and it finds you other people who are on the same level as you in the language that you're learning. Oh, okay. So it's still – it's connecting you with other people who are learning your language as opposed to native speakers of the language. Right. So that's the key difference with the, this and HelloTalk. Right. Um, right, right. However, the other the thing that's neat is that it's not just a chat room where you can just write stuff. Mm. Inside this small little club that you create, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, that, that it finds for you, um, mm. uh, will be various activities that you can do with the other people in there. Mm. Interesting. For example, you know, caption this and somebody will post a photo and then you need to write a caption for it and, you know, people can comment on your caption or whatever. Mm, interesting. Giving you a bit of that sort of classroom environment feel. Exactly. So the only thing that it doesn't do very well is teach you how to speak. Uh-huh. But obviously, you know, that's, you know, I mean, that without actually a, a native speaker on hand, you know, that's actually mm. kind of kind of uh, uh, an ambitious function for something like this to have. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Duolingo. I'll get on to Tiny Cards in a moment. But uh, what, are the, what are the apps that you're using? You mentioned that you're using a new one. Actually, before I go on to that, I had a question about Duolingo. Okay. Because an interesting that, – that all sounds very interesting, and it has a lot in common with Memrise, although the, uh, uh, the business model is a little bit different, which I'll, I'll go on to in a, in a little bit. But with Duolingo, it sounds as if the, the free-to-play model does make a lot of sense – but it, it sounds as if a lot of the time, the things you would pay for if you elected to pay would do more harm than good to your actual attempt to learn the language, right? If, you can, if you've got all these things that you need to practice and you can pay to skip them, it's not like a free-to-play game where you get the points anyway. Like, that just means you haven't practiced them. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to remember the word properly doesn't it like well it's, it sort of seems like an interesting a, a slightly i can sort of see why it makes sense but it does seem like a slightly counterproductive thing to do maybe i mean the thing is that um uh so i've been i've been doing this for what two weeks now mm-hmm. um i actually started on the day after our previous station 13 recording so mm. it's been exactly two weeks and uh Basically, I've been I've been doing it every day for about. It asks you when you when you first start how how long you want to study every day. Mm. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. twenty minutes. So I chose twenty minutes, okay. and it uses that to set the different achievements and objectives that it's giving you. Right. Um, so I've just been doing it every day for about twenty to twenty five minutes, mm-hmm. and I have some basic, very very basic knowledge of the structure of Swedish and a few uh, sort of simple phrases that I've learned just from living here. Mm-hmm. Um, but just with that amount of knowledge, uh, I have amassed a, f- a fair quantity of these gems, mm. and uh, I don't. As a result, I don't make mistakes that often, mm-hmm. or could also be because I'm I'm practicing every day, mm. and so uh, I haven't yet got to the point where I've run out of health to the point where I'm you know I need to do something to actually restore. I need to either practice right. or I need to buy gems, right? So. You're right. The balancing, like from a from a gamification point of view, the balancing mm-hmm. of this, uh, I'm not sure whether it's the most effective business model for them, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as helping them right. make money to keep sustaining the the service. Right. Um, obviously, they're getting revenue from ads because you see a lot of ads and you watch a lot of the videos. Right. Right. Uh, right. But whether or not that's enough to actually sustain the entire service, I'm I'm not exactly sure. However, I can see that. Um, if I was learning a language which was totally foreign to me mm-hmm. and I was making a lot of mistakes very, very frequently, mm. the other aspects of the of the app which are uh, enjoyable and you know somewhat addicting in a in a game gamified kind of way mm-hmm. are enticing to the point that I, I can see myself putting money into this. Oh, so you could, these are things. Other than the ability to pay to skip having to do the practice, right? That, These are right. paying money to get extra practice. In that's way. right. So basically, the, obviously, the other thing that you do when you pay um, is you remove the ads, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, I enjoy the ads because it gives me a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously, um, uh, not having ads 
is even better because you can just keep on getting on with it. Right. And if you want, if you want to take a break, just, just take, take a break. A break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so the idea of sort of paying money to buy gems to restore your health so that you mm -hmm. don't have to practice mm. because, you know, practicing is what you're doing normally in the app anyway. Mm. You know, the whole thing is basically practicing. Mm -hmm doing extra little practice questions in order to regain health is just more of the same, really. Right, right. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it it has a lot of similarities with Memorize. So Memorize is another one of these uh, sort of vocabulary slash short phrase oriented language learning apps. It's got an app and it's got a website. And uh, I think Anki is the sort of older one of these i mean older even than anki is is another one called super memo which is the first one of this type of app but that was always fairly niche and only ran on windows i think and was it's very old if you look at it but i think anki was the first big app to really popularize the use of spaced repetition hmm. flashcards hmm. as a way to learn languages hmm. And then more recently, things like Memrise and Duolingo have become popular. And a thing that both Memrise and Duolingo offer above Anki is they have a much nicer, more fun, more engaging interface. Mm. And that's not nothing. Like, I think that counts for quite a lot because all these little, little details the slight tweaks to the way they kind of add a bit of gamification or even just little sound effects they they add in. They draw you in and they make it feel like less of a chore to keep going through grinding through these cards. Mm. And Anki can be a little bit dry. So I do actually think that that is a legitimate, like, big feature that they have on top of Anki. Mm. The big thing that I think Anki offers... Uh, more perhaps than memorizing Duolingo is that it's extremely flexible and extremely powerful. Right. And I also think it's a kind of purer model. I don't know exactly the details of how the spacing works in, in memorizing Duolingo systems, but I think Anki is a very pure sort of spaced repetition system where it's like this card should be done at this time. Mm. And that's when you'll do it sort of thing. Mm. Uh, anyway, so I've, I've been using both. I continue to use Anki uh, but I've also been using Memorize for a month now. Mm. And I use them for different things. So for Anki, I do a relatively small number of what I consider to be very high-value cards. And the thing I mean by high-value is that it's much closer to using the language for example, I'll, I'll use actual sentences I've taken from a book or a website or a film or something like that. I'll have watched a film, heard something interesting, jotted down the sentence, and I'll put that in. Mm. Or I might have uh, what's called a closed deletion card, which has a sentence. A thing I've done a, a little bit of recently, which I found to be quite good, is to take a relatively complex sentence, identify all the verbs in that sentence, and then on the front of the card... I write those verbs in the infinitive form. Mm. And on the back of the card, I write the original fully conjugated versions of those verbs. And then when you see the card, based on the context, you've got to look at the, the verbs and it tells you what verb it is. And you've got to figure out what conjugation it should be in and then obviously how to conjugate it mm. into that conjugation. Uh, and those, those types of cards I find to be a little bit more effort per card than the simple vocabulary cards that I haven't memorized. Mm. But I think they are practicing multiple skills at once and they're practicing skills that will be more useful in actual speech. Mm. With memorize, I'm actually at the moment going through a user deck because one thing that both memorize and I think Duolingo offer is they have this large library of decks that have been created by users that can be shared between users, right? Mm, actually, Duolingo doesn't offer that, but I'll get into that in a moment. Okay. And so uh, there's there's tons of user decks in Memorize. Mm. And one that I've found that I've been working through over the last few weeks is called First 5,000 Words of Spanish. Right. 
And what they've done is they've taken a large corpus of Spanish text from various sources, newspapers and films and Wikipedia and things like that. And they've done some analysis and they've identified the most commonly used 5,000 words. Hmm. And then they've they've made a deck of flashcards. And it's just very simple, uh, Spanish to English, or sometimes the other way around, translation, hmm. right? Right. So the way mem- Memorize tends to work is that you'll have this card and it's it's bidirectional. So uh, you'll have this, this Spanish word and English word. And when you're first learning the card, it will introduce it to you first by going from Spanish to English. Hmm. And it will start off with multiple choice. And then as you get better, you're encouraged to, you're just shown the word and you have to type in the answer. Right. Uh, and then as you get better still, you have to go from English to Spanish rather than Spanish to English. Right. And so with this particular deck, it's just vocabulary. It's just individual words, not phrases. Mm. Uh, and it's just trying to get through this 5,000 as quickly as possible. Mm. Or at least that's, that's my aim in doing it. And I consider each of those cards on a per card basis to be extremely low value Mm. because I don't think, you know, usually there isn't a direct one-to-one correlation between a word in your target language and in your own language. So it's a little bit contrived to consider them to be the same word, right? Right. You kind of need a bit of context to really get the meaning of that word. And that's why I think the using actual, like, extracts from books or films is better because you get that context right but the reason i'm doing this is because i want to get it through get through it as quickly as possible and build myself a foundation of like words that i would kind of recognize even if i don't perfectly recall them or i don't understand the full nuance of their meaning uh, when i'm reading a book which i'm also doing at the moment I'll see these words and instead of them being like completely new to me, I'll be like, oh yeah, I saw that word the other day or memorized. What was it again? Hmm. And that's kind of a reinforcement thing. And then I'm getting this sort of context. I'm almost using it in a similar way to the way that I used HiSig for kanji learning when I first learned Japanese. So I'm treating these first 5,000 words as like a, a foundational thing in the same way that I treated the, the kanji with, with Japanese. So actually, uh, um, two weeks ago, when I um, uh, was looking at the different options that I had, I actually tried Memorize also. Mm. And I found that um, Memorize, there was no user-created Swedish course. Yeah, that's, I find that really surprising. The only course that was available was the official Memorize course. Right. And uh, there was one very nice thing about that official Memorize course, which I thought was uh, a definite uh, plus to memorize compared to Duolingo, mm. and that was it has these short video clips yes. of na- native speakers saying the words. Yeah, yeah, and th- that's that is nice. really really good. Yeah, that's really good because you know it, it's completely different thing to uh, see somebody's face, uh, pr- you know, pronouncing the word. And of course, everybody's accent will be very very slightly different, and it just f- mm. somehow feels more real somehow. You know, and that was really really uh, good. I thought. However, the thing that sort of sold Duolingo to me was the kind of emphasis on grammar and understanding the structure of, of sentences, mm. um, which naturally comes from having to translate whole sentences. Right. Whereas, at least with the Memorize, the early stages of the official Swedish course in Memorize, mm. they're just really single phrases and um, – uh, sorry, single words mm. and – yeah, that was the reason why as soon as I started Duolingo, I thought, oh, well, this is really good. You know, I can uh, – getting a foundation in the way that Swedish sentences are constructed right. without feeling like I'm actually being taught, but just by looking at them, breaking them down myself, right. and then being tasked with actually creating sentences and translations on my own. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I haven't tried Duolingo, so I can't compare them directly, but – from what I've used at the official courses on Memorize, it does have that to some extent. Mm. Like, it does have... the the This vocabulary one that I've been doing is a user deck, but the official decks do have full phrases. And they'll be of the sort of length of, for example, one of the phrases in one of the relatively sort of beginner stages of, of uh, Spanish, Spanish 4, is... Um, does your daughter want an education? Mm. Slightly strange thing to ask, <laughs> but uh, that's one of the phrases. Okay. And so 
That is like a full sentence, right? Right. And the way that you will have to answer that question is not like you're given just a blank sheet and you write it out fully. They have like a palette of words. Mm. And that will include, and, and punctuation as well. And that will include all the words and punctuation you need to construct the sentence the way they constructed it. And it may include a couple of red herrings as well. Yeah, right. And then you select from that palette and build up the, the sentence that way. That's yeah, that's the same as the way that Duolingo works. All right, okay. So maybe you just didn't get up to the sort of the the level that that it starts doing that. Like maybe the earlier levels don't do that. Right. The other, the companion app to Duolingo is called Tiny Cards. Mm. And Tiny Cards is very similar to Memrise. Mm. So in the case of Tiny Cards, you have official Duolingo created decks of flashcards. Mm. Uh, and you also have user-created flashcards as well. Right. And it's um, much like Duolingo. It's very sort of cute and it's very fun. It, you know, it feels like a game as you're doing it. Um, there's a lot of sort of cute little animations and the graphics are really nice. Mm-hmm. But the, the great thing is that the courses that you do in Duolingo, mm. they're all there in Tiny Cards. And the data, how how well you've done sort of your the data about your particular progress is also available is it uh no it's not so they work independently of of each other oh okay yeah but tiny cards is basically you know for example you have like basics one in duolingo and then in tiny cards there'll be like a deck called basics one Mm. uh, and you basically progress through them unlocking the next one as you go along Mm. and you know basics one will consist of all of the vocabulary from the Duolingo course. Mm. But in the case of Tiny Cards, it's all flashcards, mm. much like uh, Memrise does, where, you know, first you see uh, the English, then you turn it over, and then you see the Swedish, and next you'll see the Swedish with multiple choice, mm. and you choose the right English, mm. and then the final level of difficulty will be you'll see the Swedish and you have to type the English, mm. uh, or the other way around, you know, you see the English right. and you have to type the Swedish. The Swedish, right. Oh, yeah, and that sounds very similar. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of I guess that's kind of like Duolingo's answer to memorize. Right. So, yeah, I've found that the combination of these two apps mm. uh, has been really good. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, I certainly wouldn't uh, mind you know throwing a little bit of money toward uh, Duolingo for this service, especially if I'm still doing it after a month and I feel like I'm actually progressing. Mm. Uh, however, if it if it you know if it's important to anybody, both of these are actually completely free. Right. And right. that was a, a difference with Memrise because I think Memrise, the user-created decks are free. However, the official ones, which was the only case with uh, uh, the only option with Swedish, those actually uh, require purchase. Right. So just uh, just to, uh, a bit of real-time fact-checking, but I have looked and there are tons of Swedish user decks oh, really? in Memrise. So I've sent you the link. So. Okay. Maybe if you get some, you know, obviously you're quite settled into Duolingo now, but they're there. So if you ever feel like giving it a go, you do need... A thing I have noticed is that it seems to be very limited what you can find from within the app. Okay. So it seems like you have to use the browser on a computer to really find Mm. all the decks. I don't really... It seems like a very strange decision. I don't know why they've done that, but you get access to a lot more stuff if you use the browser. So I'll put a link in the show notes for anybody who's interested in Swedish, uh, and I've sent you the link as well. Thanks. So for the Duolingo business model, how does it work? Are you buying individual decks? Uh, no. Basically, when you start, it mm-hmm. asks you what your native language is, mm-hmm. uh, and then it asks you which course you want to do. Mm. And you have an option of all of the different languages that it has available to it, mm-hmm. um, and there's lots of them. And I, you just basically, I, you know, I choose Swedish, and then it asks you how much do you want to study every day. Mm. Uh, and then it also, after you answer that, it will say, uh, "What do you think your level is?" Mm. Or would you like to take a short placement test so that it could work out what your level is for you? Uh-huh. And you know, I just selected, you know, absolute beginner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that's it. And so there was no. So, but w- what is the business model? Where, how do you? How do they get money? They get money f- apart from ads. That's it. From ads or from in-app purchases of these gems. Oh, of the gems. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which give you access to uh, letting you skip certain types of practice and certain particular types of extra games and things you can play. Yeah, not really skipping. I wouldn't say skipping practice uh, because, uh-huh. like I said uh, a moment ago, you know, practice is the whole thing. And if you want, right, if you want right. to regain health, you're just doing more practice of what you normally would be doing. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so, 
yeah, by in-app purchase of gems, and the gems gives you certain kinds of functionality that help you do things like continue streaks, mm-hmm. um, or you could sort of unlock a lesson even though you haven't gotten up to it if you wanted to. Oh, I see. Okay. Or just sort of little extra kind of um, uh, useful features. Okay. So with Memrise, it's a slightly different model. Uh, it uses a subscription model. And so there's the app is free and the website is free and you can log on and there's quite a lot you can do for free. You can do all the user decks and also the Memrise official decks. Uh, decks in Memrise are split into chapters. So even within one deck, there'll be a collection of and it varies between decks, but there might be 25 or 50 or 75 cards in a single chapter. Mm. And then you have a number of those chapters, and that makes up a deck. And with the official memorized decks, you get access to the first chapter of each deck. Mm. So you can do the official decks, but you're just getting a, a much smaller subset of the whole deck. So you know, if you've got a subscription, you get access to everything right 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 the other difference when you have a subscription is there are no ads Mm. and actually i can't remember if there were ad ads without the subscription or i've got a feeling the ads that you get when you don't have a subscription are ads for buying a subscription (laughs) it just pops up every now and then saying that's right why don't you buy a subscription yeah Uh, which can get a bit annoying that's right so there's 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 that and there's also a number of other styles of of cards that you get access to Mm. uh, styles of sort of almost play when you've got a subscription they've got this thing called the grammati bot which brings up like a little fake chat window and it's almost like you're in a an instant message thing right uh but from what i've seen of that it's very sort of scripted Mm. it's like you meet this person and they say sort of say hello to you and then you get this small palette of words to choose from to to give your response Mm. and i think there's a little bit of flexibility like i I don't think it's looking for the exact perfect answer, which would be no different from the translation cards, right? Right. I, but I, I think it is looking for sort of what is a valid answer to, to what that person said. Right. But I don't know. I didn't find it that satisfying. Hmm. So I usually skip those ones. They also have a, a speed review type of exercise, which you can do if you have a subscription, hmm. where it's uh, you're, you're racing against the clock. So... It's the normal flashcards, but it, it brings up a flashcard and you've got this timer counting down. And if the timer reaches zero, you, use a, you lose a life and you've got three lives, right? Mm, right. If you answer the flashcard correctly, then the timer gains a little bit of time. Mm. And if you answer it wrong, then you lose a life as well. I see. So the idea is that as you're going, you're just constantly trying to beat this countdown timer to prevent it from hitting zero right right um and that i found a little bit stressful Mm. like i can see how it's it's a good way to try and do reviews quite quickly if you've got a big pile that you want to get through because it's got this time element to it but i didn't need the stress of worrying about this timer i wanted to be able to sort of answer the cards that i know well very quickly and take a bit more time to think about the cards that i don't know so well right right I will just um, uh, put in one s- small criticism, I guess, of, of Memrise, which mm-hmm. it's entirely a personal thing and it's definitely probably mm. something that somebody in my profession is more likely to feel looking at Memrise than uh, somebody who doesn't develop games for a living. Mm-hmm. But the the sort of artistic context that's put on Memrise um, <laughs> is that, you know, you are is like this little alien kind of thing, like a pet. Mm-hmm. And as you do more, as you progress more through the lessons, you know, you are gradually developing this little alien dude mm-hmm. who sort of slowly evolves as you go through it. Mm. And there's like these little animations that are playing here and there of like this flower. First mm-hmm. you're planting a seed and then a sapling comes up. Yeah, they've got this weird mixing of metaphors where like right. – your your relationship to the cards that you're learning and the information that you've sort of absorbed is they actually call it the garden. They take the metaphor quite far. If you really go into it, like they really go quite far with this metaphor. So they call your your library of cards right. a garden mm-hmm. and doing exercises is watering the garden. Right. But at the same time, they have this other metaphor going on where going through one of these decks is this rocket ship right flying from planet to planet and each chapter in a deck is like a different planet yeah. that you're flying to. yeah exactly so so 
all of that mm. when I when I <laughs> when I was first trying Memrise. Mm. All of that, I guess, my uh, sort of knee jerk reaction to mm-hmm. seeing that kind of stuff is I want to understand it. Mm. You know, it, as a game developer, I'm thinking like, what is that? Like, what is it? How do I how do I do that? Mm. Like, how, why is the plant growing? What did I do to make it grow? And, and like, I'm going mm. to in my rocket ship from this planet to that planet, but can I go there instead? Or like, you know, (laughs) I I just sort of found it all a little bit too distracting somehow. Right. On on the other hand, Duolingo, you know, it it doesn't disguise itself as anything other than, you know, a game about learning language. Mm -hmm. But, you know, basically that you have this kind of green owl character, which I guess is the Duolingo mascot. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's it. You know, basically you you look there and you've got your gems and you've got your uh, sort of, um, seven-day run information or whatever, and then you've got just the lessons, and then mm. you just scroll down and you go through the lessons, and there'll be a there'll be a sort of a like a quiz, and some of them are locked because you haven't gotten up that far, and it just was just very very clear and easy to understand how this actually works. Can you buy hats for your owl with gems? <laughs> no, you can't. Oh. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I think like all of this kind of thing probably isn't really it isn't going to bother many other people but with mm. with memorize it was just so there was a, there was a lot of depth there and it was very distracting well there's a, there's a lot of stuff i'm not sure how deep any of it really is right. the the plant growing metaphor kind of works right i i've grown to like that because what happens is when you're first learning a new word the you go through like six stages of learning when it, when you first encounter a new word mm. First, it sh- just shows you the word and tells you what it means. And then it shows you the word in your target language. And you've got to select from a number of English definitions and select the re- next one. Mm. Uh, and then the reverse and so forth until you get to being shown the word in your own language and having to type it in your target language. Right. And each one of these steps, the very first step, you see this little image of a hand placing a seed in a flower pot. Mm. And then the next image, you see this little bud sprouting. And then the next image, the plant's grown a little bit. And at the very end, when the word is sort of moved from this uh, learning mode into uh, like its uh, retainment mode, Mm. which is where it will spend the rest of its life, that's when the actual flower blooms, right? Right, right. And then from then on, whenever you get to... When, when you're then revising cards later, right? If you haven't looked at a card for a while and it's thinking this card might be in danger of, of being forgotten and needs to be practiced in order to retain it, the little flower will show up as a little bit wilted. Oh, I see. And then when you answer it correctly, it's got this little animation of a bit of water being poured into it and then the flower sort of jumps up again and is, you know, nice and colorful and lively. Hmm. Um, and so... Like it's kind of a silly metaphor, but I kind of think that works. I'm I'm kind of on board with that. Mm. Then the whole space thing with your character Ziggy, who's this alien thing that evolves. Like I don't really see the point in that at all. Mm. As far as I can tell, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a way of making a little bit more fun. The transition from one chapter right. to the next. Yeah. See, all of that I um, I just found a little bit kind of distracting because like like i said I, I wanted to understand mm. you know what i'm doing and how do i do these things and you know what right, options right. do i have so that i guess it's it's yeah. approach you would I, I you would grow to understand that quite quickly because there's not actually very much to yeah it. that's the that's the problem though like in the first 20 minutes of trying out the app mm. you know i'm not thinking about swedish i'm thinking about the app itself <laughs> and, and that to me was was just a little bit yeah. Maybe maybe that's exactly what would appeal to some people. You know, if you if you don't actually right, right. if you don't want to learn the language, but you have to for some reason, mm. maybe maybe that that level of context would appeal to some people. But to me, you know, I, I'm using these apps because I really want to learn Swedish, mm. and so I I don't mind if the app feels like it's right, educational. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like they're on a little bit of a sort of spectrum between Anki at the the very sort of dry just black and white text, end of the scale, right. and memorize at the sort of perhaps slightly over-the-top animated whiz-bang end and Duolingo somewhere in between the two. Yeah. But I, you know, I've grown to to like it. I, I quite enjoy mm. uh, memorize. I will say the big danger with all of these spaced repetition systems, I don't know to what extent 
this will apply to Duolingo because you say it, it asks you how much you want to revise each day. Right. But most of the systems that I've learned, that I've used, work more on the basis of this is these are the cards this that represent the sort of knowledge that you're attempting to absorb, right? Hmm. And much res- research has been done into when you need to practice this card next in order to retain that knowledge. Mm. If you practice it too often, then it's inefficient. It's fine. It's no problem, Mm. but you're practicing more than you need to. If you practice it too little, then the chances are high that you will forget that card before the next time you practice it. And so you'll end up going back to square one and having to relearn it. Mm. And so that's also inefficient. Mm. So the idea is to try and find the sort of most efficient way to do as little revision as possible to gain the most sort of amount of knowledge, right? right? right. The, the the best ratio of work to knowledge gained that you can get. Right. And the the only real knob that you can control in that context is the number of new cards that you will learn in a particular day. Hmm. Because the... The cards that you've already committed to, that you've already sort of taken on and learned and you are now retaining or working to retain, Mm. those follow a schedule and you don't have control over that, right? They will follow Mm. the schedule that they follow based on how well you recall them. I see. But the the cards that you introduce per day, you do have control. You can choose, I'm going to learn no new cards, I'm going to learn 20 new cards, I'm going to learn like 200 new cards in a single day. You know, you can... That is a thing that you have absolutely, it's just your choice. And the slight danger there is that there is a real delay between adding a new card and getting the the feedback or feeling the effect of having added that card mm. because it's cumulative. As you add, you add a new card, you learn it, it all feels good, and then it gets scheduled for the next day. And then the next day you add another new card and you learn that, and that feels good, still feels easy. The card you scheduled the previous ga- day gets scheduled for two days hence. Mm. And the card you've just learned gets scheduled for the next day, right? Mm. So then the next day, it all feels fine. You're still only doing two cards. You've, you know, and you learn it, and that's fine. Then that card gets scheduled for the next day. The card that you learned on the first day is now scheduled for the next day. So the following day, you have two cards to revise and your new card and so forth, right? Mm. So if you learn too many cards at once, about three days to a week later, you will suddenly see this explosion in cards that you have to revise. Mm. And it takes quite a lot of self-control when things feel easy and you feel sort of motivated, like you want to learn lots of stuff, to stop yourself from just spamming yourself with loads of cards that you're going to have to deal with like a week down the line. And I know this because I'm currently suffering from this. Okay. <laughs> because, as I said, I was trying to do this 5,000-word deck as quickly as I can. Right. It's called a 5,000-word deck, although it's actually only 4,500 words, but still a lot of words, right? Now, my typical... For my long experience with Anki, uh, my recommendation for new cards to do per day is about 20 to 30, depending on how simple or complicated the cards Mm. are i think if you do if you introduce about 20 new cards a day over the long term you won't have to do more than about 20 minutes half an hour's worth of practice every Mm. day in two weeks i have done all but 300 of these cards so i've done 4200 cards Mm. in 14 days which is more than 20 cards a day (laughs) right Um, um, the, that's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that I've found very impressive about Duolingo is the um, because it's all sentence based, mm. not single vocabulary uh, card based mm-hmm. like Tiny Cards is. Mm. It mean it means that it, um, it gives them the ability to very very cleverly use the vocabulary because you, you you're learning sentences, but those sentences are made up of words contain many words. And, yes. Um, one really neat thing about it is that, uh, you know, you start with the real basics, then some phrases, and then you uh, have uh, animals and food. And I mm. thought, 
well, this is kind of a strange, you know, like animals and food. Like, like I, you know, how useful is it to know how to, to, to say duck or dog or horse, you know, uh, mm. or to be able to say sausage or, you know, lemon or apple or things like that. I mean, is, that's not, you know, I'd, I'd rather be learning useful phrases with verbs and stuff like that for, mm. you know, things that I'm, I do every day in Sweden. However, what mm. I realized that it's actually very clever because by learning these sentences that contains information about animals and about food, mm. it's very easy as you progress through uh, to combine everything that you've learned in these lessons as you go along. Mm. So when you're learning about food, you'll have a sentence like, you know, the horse is eating an apple. Mm. And that's when I realized, ah, okay, right, I see. Right. So the reason that you have this after that is so that they can constantly be reminding you of things that you've done up to this point just by the content of the new information that you're getting right. in this sentence context. Right. So there's been many times when, you know, as a, a previous curriculum designer for English education many, many, many years ago, there's been many times when I've just sort of smiled and nodded and thought, yeah, yeah, I see what you guys are doing. That's pretty good. Mm. <laughs> so um, speaking of uh, revision and education and testing, I actually have uh, another in interesting anecdote for you from the Swedish education system. Yeah. The kooky, progressive Swedish education system that is often uh, criticized here in Sweden. And, and often lauded everywhere else exactly, in the world. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so on the weekend, uh, we had our neighbor's daughter come over, and she's 14. Mm -hmm. So she is in year seven. Is she the one that listens to the podcast? No. That's the that's oh, the dad. Okay. Different. That's the dad. That's okay. the dad. Oh, but it's her dad. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So Hello, hello. Dad of the person we're just about to talk about. Yeah, so she's uh, just about to start year eight. Right. So she was telling me a little bit about the testing system at the public school that she goes to. Now, this is a public school, so it's not a you know a fancy private school with a with some kind of uh, new age progressive education system. This is a regular public school. Right. So okay, she was telling me about the um, the testing system. Now, this is really interesting. She said that. In with their classes, for example, the mathematics class, mm. the mathematics class, if they have a test on Monday, mm. they are actually forbidden from studying for the test. Mm. And it's actually considered to be cheating to be studying for mm. the test prior to the test beginning. So it's, it's actually you, you're not supposed to study. Right, right. And the reason it's done like that is that the teachers want to evaluate regularly. They want to evaluate your actual understanding. Right of what they're teaching you. Mm. And, you know, you pass and you fail, so that the, the grading system is the same based on the test. However, mm -hmm. based on the results of um, what's going on with these tests that you haven't studied for, mm. the teacher will then uh, adjust what they're going to be teaching you next mm. to cater to the general understanding in the class. So mm. if everybody has done very, very poorly in the test without any study, the teacher then is informed that, okay, I didn't do a very good job in explaining this, so we need to go back and review that. Right, right. Or, you know, it could be really, really easy, and then the teacher knows, okay, they all get this, so now we can move on to new things. Right. So she told my wife and I this uh, uh, as we were eating lunch, and we just sort of thought, yeah, well, that's uh, – that's, you know, that makes complete sense, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially that was very sort of eye-opening from my wife because, of, you know, she went through the Japanese education system. And right. the Japanese education system, I would say probably it's fair to say it's less about understanding and more about discipline. Right. You know, it is, it is the discipline of basically forcing yourself to do something difficult that you don't enjoy and you don't really want to do. A skill you're going to have to be able to continue throughout your life as a salary man exactly exactly <laughs> um as you know and as we know uh when it comes to tests you know we've all been there you know we've all done that the australian education system is you know pretty regular in that you know you have tests and you, you get graded on that and uh you know you have um uh, of course you study prior to the test mm. even if it's just you know an hour on the bus in the morning mm -hmm. before you get there mm. The interesting thing about all those tests, and it's definitely the case in Japan as well, is that, you know, you, you do all of that study, you do all the cramming, or you do the, the mm. long-term preparation mm. or whatever kind of student mm. you are, 
And then sure enough, you know, about three or four hours after you've left the test room, it's it's all kind of dribbled out your yeah, ears. And it's you, all gone. You know, yeah, it's all gone, yeah, yeah. Which, is, yeah. which is the reason why it's sort of more focused on, on the discipline of that rather than actually understanding. Well, and I mean, I don't know about Japan, but I, I would say that very similar property exists for tests in the UK and America as well, right? There's definitely a lot of cramming that happens before tests, and it's much more focused on trying to get a high result in your test than necessarily, you know, in theory, you want a deep understanding of what you're doing. But, you know, in practice, I think people are definitely sort of results-oriented. Mm, right. I think that there's there's a couple of things there. Number one is it sounds like a difficult thing to police right? right this is mostly a, an honor system idea where you're assuming the parents are going to be discouraging study and, and everything as well because right obviously people could be studying in the week running up to the test right the other thing is does this also apply to do they have something equivalent to like in the uk would be gcses and a levels you know that the the exams that you do at certain points that aren't your regular sort of check-in exams but our actual qualifications that you're going to be using to try and get jobs because that seems like the, the like it feels like you would be hobbling yourself if you weren't allowed to study for something that could affect the entire the rest of your life right <laughs> right yeah i'm not sure about that um i don't i don't yeah. know the the bigger picture of the the education system and of, you know what what decides what mm. subjects you can take in university or the the effect of or how evaluation works on the university level, mm. the graduation level, mm. I don't know. But coming back to the first point there um, about, you know, how do you police mm. that? I think the the thing is, is that it's not too difficult because we're basically talking about teenagers and you give them the choice, would you rather do nothing <laughs> or would you rather study? You know, I'm sure, you know, right. uh, the majority of most teenagers would say, yeah, I'm just going to do nothing. Fine, great. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, you've also got to have the, the buy-in from the parents as well, right? Because parents, you're still going to have parents that like are pushing their teenagers to do well, right? That's a thing that must exist. The thing, though, I think is that if parents understand that the system is not about evaluating your child's ability to understand, mm -hmm. but rather just their understanding, mm -hmm. I think if most, parent, most parents understand that, that, okay, we don't want your children to study, and the reason for that is because we want them to walk into the classroom fresh, with no preparation, mm. uh, and we want to see how much they understand of what we're mm. teaching them mm. in that moment. Right. Yeah, yeah. Rather than rather than the flip side, which is okay. Here is a test, and we're going to be grading your child, right, and evaluating them and relative and to all the other children, <laughs> exactly, yeah. um, based on how well they do on this test. I think even parents who are uh, very driven to encourage their children to do very well on tests mm. for various different reasons and will encourage their children to study very hard in preparation. Mm. I think if if it's made clearly understood that this is the reason that we're doing it this way, mm. I think even those parents probably could understand that, well, in that case, you know, they would probably shift their uh, attention on to encouraging the, the children to really pay attention mm. <laughs> when, when the teacher is talking, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think I've heard, I, I think I've seen this on TV. I don't know to what extent it's true. Maybe American listeners can can back it up or deny it. But I think the American approach to that problem might be random testing. Mm. Like you just turn up to class one day and the teacher says, right, we're going to do a test today. Right. And that's how they make sure that you haven't prepared is because they just don't give you the opportunity. Right. I think though the, the advantage of not having it a surprise like that, but actually mm. having it uh, a system that is understood by everyone, including the students. Mm. I think the advantage of, of that is that it definitely removes that sense of dread from the whole examination process. Right. You know, right. If, if it doesn't matter if mm. you do very badly on a test, mm. because actually all that's going to do is it's going to have the teacher help you understand again. Right. Or basically clear up things that you didn't understand the first time round. Mm. Um, if you understand that that's the reason that you have a test, then uh, students are going to be much less intimidated and much less, um, uh, you know, loathing of the whole testing right. process. Right. However, if you have a regular system where uh, testing is evaluation of a student's ability, and mm -hmm. uh, you have these sort of random spot quiz 
kind of uh, surprise tests here and there, mm. you know, I, I can just imagine this classroom of teenagers groaning when the teacher says, right, everybody, we're going to do a test right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think that um, yeah, this is uh, part of the puzzle, you know, in coming to Sweden, I've, I've often found myself wondering what is it about this, the Swedish education system and the Sw- Swedish society, mm. which seems to be working quite well in in, in mm. producing, you know, some some amazing success stories, really. Mm. You know, if you think of uh, companies like Ikea and you think of, uh, you know, web services like Spotify and SoundCloud mm. and, uh, you know, numerous, numerous others, um, not just Sweden. I mean, if you, you factor in all of Scandinavia, mm. what is it about the way that they do things um, that seems to somehow facilitate, you know, these kinds of uh, successful uh, stories that you get from Scandinavia in business. Mm. Mm. And I'm it's, I'm still figuring it out and I think it's going to take me, you know, many, many years to, to and many experiences to try and figure it out properly. But mm. uh, one or two of the things I have as, as hypotheses of how this could be working is I think one important thing is there seems to be a strong emphasis here on children finding their own passions and you mm-hmm. know it's an education system that basically gives you the time to do what you want <laughs> mm. there's very little homework the school day is pretty short mm. for example for my son who's uh, 8 or actually 9 in a few days mm. oh happy birthday yeah he's uh, uh the the you know one half of his day is basically just doing what he wants mm. with with the support network of a school mm. and I can see how, you know, that would come to a situation where, where there's so little discipline mm. that, in a sense, children learn to self-discipline themselves, uh, especially when it comes to doing things that they really, really actually enjoy because they found it themselves, mm. rather than, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. So it, it really seems to foster this this uh, environment where children can freely find their own passion and then mm. really, really enthusiastically pursue that passion, because uh, you know the, the 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 way the social system is set up is that you know after university, mm. it's quite easy to do something freelance, you know, and mm. there is a support network there for you. The, the government's unemployment system and uh, you know the the network is fairly well developed, so that you right. when right. you're in your twenties, yeah, you can just give it a try, start a business, and you know, follow your passion, see if it works. And if it does, you've got yourself a company. And if it doesn't, you know, you just go and find a job somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that w- one of the very important things uh, increasingly in terms of innovation in these increasingly creative fields that I think, I, you know, as as we move into more sort of software-based industries and what do they call it? The intelligence economy or something like that like i think more than say a hundred years ago where things were a little more industrial now a lot of innovation and a lot of success comes from somewhat more creative fields and the key to making that success is to reduce the cost of failure right because there will be many failures you can't you can't be creative and have uh, you know creative successes without having a lot of creative failures it's just a sort of inherent part of the process yeah and that's um uh when i go to networking events uh for the stockholm game community Mm. the game development community Mm. it comes across very very strongly that this culture and this society and the system that encourages people to do something that they're passionate in Mm. and also gives you the the safety net to fail at that but also gives you the freedom to define that for yourself Mm -hmm. It's very, very apparent when you go to these networking mm. events because you'll meet people who are making games in you know small companies and groups of four or five mm. in their twenties, mm. absolutely smashing it from a commercial point of view, mm. <laughs> you know? like uh, like creating amazing success for themselves, mm. even though they're in their twenties. Mm. And you, when you talk to them, you realize like that's passion on a on a completely different scale from what I've experienced when you see people that have just naturally come to developing games because it's something that they discovered from a very young age that they really mm. like doing 
mm. and they were given the freedom to actually try and experiment and to follow you know that passion mm. because I think that uh, one thing I can remember from when I was growing up in Australia is that in the 90s especially there was this kind of pressure mm. to have a dream you know yeah yeah this, this this pressure on young people that you know you, you should be ambitious and you should have a dream and you've got to chase right. your dreams and right, right. if you wake up in the morning and you're not doing something that you absolutely love then you need to make changes in your life and yeah you know yeah i think the fallout from that has been fairly well documented as well it's quite interesting right. and I, I can remember myself you know, it took me a long time to sort of figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. And it I I had the sense that I was uh, inadequate and I was wrong and for not having this dream, you know, and not mm. knowing what I wanted to do was a problem. Mm. And that mm. that's not right. What do you mean you don't know what you to, to do? You don't have it. Everybody has a dream. Right. You know, you, you feel kind of singled out if you don't actually have that. Right. And... You know, I, when I observe young people in Sweden who are doing their thing or, you know, people who are at the school system as well as my son goes through it and I see that people have so much freedom and so much time to just try different things mm. and to see, you know, see what sticks basically, I sort of realize that, well, you know, this if, if you want people to have dreams, don't just tell them you have to have a dream, chase your dreams you know, actually give them the the freedom to try and find it for themselves and they will eventually. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. I mean, we could go on for ages about the whole dream thing because it's, it's definitely like a documented thing that uh, people of our generation and younger, like particularly millennials, they have this mm. constant conflict between, you know, trying to be successful but also trying to work out what the thing that was what they actually wanted to do was right. like and some people are lucky like i was lucky because it was fairly clear to me from quite a young age that that i wanted to do programming and i wanted to program games specifically mm. and i was also lucky because you know in the in the 80s and early 90s not many parents would have encouraged that like i don't think many parents would recognize the distinction between spending time on the computer playing games and spending time on the computer making them. Mm. And so, you know, so a lot of people were discouraged from doing that sort of thing and encouraged to, to go and do more sort of proper jobs, which I think is is probably less the case now. Mm. But, I, you know, I was lucky in that my parents, I think, did, did recognize the value in that and encouraged that from quite a young age. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was lucky too because um, in my case, also similar to... Um, Similar to what you mentioned just there, in my case, I sort of knew what I enjoyed doing and I sort of knew what I wanted to do. And it was all based around the Commodore Amiga mm. and, um, uh, you know, making music on the Commodore Amiga mm. uh, was, yeah, this is what I want to do. Or, you know, uh, looking at graphics in demos, from demo scene demos on the, on the Amiga and thinking, oh, you know, I love the, the, this, this design and this the the uh, graphics and graphical design and things like that, mm. but of course, yeah, as you mentioned there as well, there was definitely when I was growing up this idea that you know if you if you want to have a stable lifestyle, you don't become a musician, <laughs> you don't become yeah. you don't become an artist if you want to have a you know a stable income and a and a and yeah. a car and a, and a family and a you know and a mortgage. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> 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 yes, that's true. I think uh, I think from in my case it was sort of because uh, my brother was a software engineer. It, it was sort mm -hmm. of a case of really, you know, well, I kind of know what I want to do, but I can't be that, so I've got to find something else that's viable. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm about to pass out from dehydration, so. Mm -hmm.